Welcome. Good to see you guys today, Central Campus. You guys doing great? You excited about coming to the table? Isn't that awesome? Man, I just want to jump right in right now. I got to say some stuff. Y'all just let me slow down, man. I'm excited. First of all, my name's Olin Carter. Um, if you're new to Freedom House Church, something that is very special about our church that I love so much um, is that we do everything here as a team. Um, it's not one person. It's not, you know, one, you know, one personality. Um, we do everything here as a team, including teaching God's word. And so we have a teaching team. That's why I'm up here. I'm a part of that team. Um, and I just love that part of our pastor's vision to include everyone in the work of the ministry. I think that's the New Testament model is that we're all supposed to do the ministry together. Can I get an amen? So can we give some honor to our senior pastors? Give them a hand clap. Pastor Troy, Pastor Penny. Um, I love them so much for that vision because that's why I get to be here. And also, um, I wanna recognize our online campus. Um, we have folks joining us right now from all over the world. We have people tuning in from the Netherlands, uh, Peru, Puerto Rico, Michigan, Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, Oklahoma, Virginia, Illinois, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and South Carolina. Will you guys give it up for them? Incredible, incredible. We're so glad you're with us today, so just welcome. You're, you're here with us, um, and I believe this series is just gonna be amazing. Um, if you are watching online, um, if you didn't already, get some communion elements out. We want you, we want you to participate um, in this all month long, and this series that we're in is called The Table because we're going to be examining, focusing on the importance and the meaning of communion. How many of you enjoy taking communion today? Isn't it always special? I don't know about you. It never gets old to me. Uh, there's something sacred. There's something weighty in taking communion, something freeing when I take communion. Um, it's incredible. And so this whole month, we're going to be talking about the table. What does it mean? What does it mean to us as believers? So I've got a lot to cover today. I'm going to jump right in to God's word. And so... If you have your Bibles, pull up 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's where we're going to start. Um, and I believe this. I believe communion reminds us of the covenant we have with God through Jesus. I believe the communion table, taking communion, it reminds us of the covenant we have with God through Jesus. Let's read what God's word says here in 1 Corinthians. Again, this chapter 11. We're going to start in verse uh, 23, it says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people and agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Again, I believe communion reminds us. Who is us? Us are the believers, followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today 
and you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ, you're gonna have an opportunity to do that today. I think once you hear the story of how much God loves us, man, it's gonna pull on your heart to become a follower of Jesus Christ because really all that is is putting trust, putting faith in what Jesus did for us. And when you hear that story, when you get a revelation of what Jesus really did, I know for me, and I remember the day I received Jesus as my Savior, man, it was, it was just a reaction to his love, a reaction to his grace. And so who are believers? What? What covenant are we talking about? We're going to talk about today the new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. We serve a covenant God. And I was asking my son this morning, we were driving here, I said, do you know what covenant means? And we were just talking about that. And you know, there's so many covenants in the scripture, and we're gonna look today, I believe sometimes as believers, we can get confused between the old covenant, the new covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the covenant of David. There's all these different covenants in the Old Testament, and it's easy to get confused. Like, what covenant are we talking about? Today, we're gonna talk about the difference between the old and the new. What is the difference between the old and the new. And why does this matter? Why is this so important that we understand this? Well, I've been reading recently in Genesis, and um, if you were here the last time I, I preached, I talked about getting stuck. Remember that? Anybody been getting stuck? That's good. Well, I've been stuck for a while now, Genesis chapter 17. And it was really before I thought about this message and kind of what I was going to be talking about today, but I've been kind of stuck in Genesis chapter 17, just reading it over and over again, because in Genesis chapter 17, God initiates a covenant with Abraham. And the language in this chapter just, man, just captured my heart, because over and over and over and over again in Genesis chapter 17, God says, my covenant I'm gonna cut a covenant with you, Abraham. I'm gonna form a covenant with you and this is my covenant and you're gonna follow this and this is what you're gonna do and it's gonna be my covenant and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna expand you and I'm gonna multiply you and I'm gonna bless you because of my covenant. And it just struck me that it's not our covenant. It's not, it's not Abraham's covenant. He didn't say your covenant, our covenant. God kept saying my covenant because the covenant was initiated by God. We didn't initiate it. Abraham didn't initiate it. Abraham didn't go to God and say, God, I need a deal. I need to be in partnership in covenant with you. No, God, think about how unthinkable, unbelievable it is that the God of the universe would come to a man and say, hey, I want to be in covenant with you. That's incredible. I can't escape it. I mean, I've read Genesis chapter 17. I bet you I've read it 30 times in the last month. And I just keep reading it. There's something about those words, my covenant, my covenant, my covenant. God wants to be in covenant with me. Like, wow. And, and we need to understand and take the importance what it means for the God of the universe to want to come down and be in partnership in, in communion, in covenant with me, a mere man. Like, that blows my mind. 
Most of us, I looked up the other day, who's the richest man in the world? Richest man in the world right now is Bernard. His name is Bernard Arnault. I thought it was uh, Elon. Yeah, I thought it was the Tesla guy, but it's not. He dropped a little bit. <laughs> Poor guy, now he's only worth like $190 billion. <laughs> You know, it's rough, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know what he's gonna do. But good old Bernard, Bernard, he's, uh, I think he's French, but he owns all these makeup company, luxury companies, jewelry, all this, tons of different companies. But if you, if, if he went on the news this afternoon and he said, hey, I wanna be in partnership with Tony Bowles. I wanna be in partnership with her. She's gonna have a place. I'm gonna adopt her into my family. And he didn't do this privately. Like, he did this publicly. And he said, hey, you're gonna be a part of my family. And he said this for the world to see. And then he sent, he sent her some instructions. He sent her a contract, what we would call covenant, for us in America would be a contract. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. Covenant's way better than contract. But he sent her an agreement that outlined the details, the parameters, the promises, the benefits, the stipulations of this new partnership, this new, this new uh, communion together. If he sent that, you'd probably keep it, wouldn't you? You'd probably want to understand. If that was you, you would probably hang on to that document, would you not? Probably be pretty important. You'd probably look at it. For the first week, how, how many times would you look at it? The first day, you'd look at it all day. You would just like, it would just, you'd just be walking around bumping into stuff. Like, that's my name. <laughs> Whoa, that's my name right there. Like, he's worth $202 billion. That's my name. Like, that's my name. And I'm gonna change the last name. My last name's Carter. It's gonna be Arno. Like it's going to be our no, $202 billion. Like you would be looking at that. But yet, the God of the, God's wealth makes his wealth look like poverty. And the God of the universe comes to us and says, I want to be in covenant with you. Pretty important. Amen? We need to understand, and here's why. Because God, and I want you to walk away understanding this today. I want this just engraved, just like imprinted, seared in your heart. God will only relate to us through the new covenant. He'll only relate to you through the new. He won't relate to you through the old. Thank God. We're going to read a little bit about that in a minute. Thank God. But he'll only relate to you through the new covenant. And so the first thing we need to understand is what a covenant is all about. Covenant is all about relationship. Covenant is all about relationship. A covenant is an agreement that defines the relationship. It contains promises and stipulations that determine how two people are going to treat each other. Now, in America, and in in really in the modern world, we don't think covenant. We don't have covenants anymore. Like, we don't cut covenant. 
You don't have any friends. You like, hey, brother, I want to cut a covenant with you. Like, you know, we don't talk like that. It's not a thing anymore. Like, we think about contracts. Our brain thinks contracts. What do I get out of this deal? What do I have to give in order to get what I want in the contract? What are the terms of the contract? You see, a contract creates an artificial relationship in order to produce a desired result. Relationship is not the point of a contract. You know how I know that? Because if you have a rental property and you have a tenant sign a contract called a lease agreement, you, you, they have to pay the terms of the lease agreement, right? Like you don't go hang out with that person. They're not your buddy. They have to pay the rent. If they don't pay the rent, what do you do? You evict their butt out of your property. Because you're not best friends. No, they're a tenant. It's a business relationship. It's an artificial relationship created for the purpose of meeting a, a need. And when that term is over and that person moves out of your rental property, guess what you don't do? You don't call them up four months later and go, hey, Bob, you want to go to the movies? He'd be like, with you? Not really. Like, you're not friends like that, right? It's not about the relationship. Covenant in God's kingdom is very different from how we use contracts. Contracts are temporary. Covenants are permanent. Contracts are for self-interest. Covenants are for mutual blessing. The entire point of covenant is not to get something I want. The point is the relationship. And the only modern example we have left, because we've pretty much done away with covenant in our society, is the covenant of marriage. And here's the thing about marriage. We don't enter into a marriage covenant like we do a contract, right? I don't enter into a marriage covenant. Now, there are gonna be some benefits of entering into a marriage covenant, just like a contract, right? There are gonna be certain things my wife does to help me. There's gonna be certain things I do to help my wife. But when I proposed to my wife, I didn't get down on one knee, say, Tammy, life is hard. There are dishes to wash. There's grass to be mowed. There's bills to pay. And if we work together, it'll be a little easier. Will you marry me? Who does that? <laughs> That's not how we propose, right? Because I wasn't looking for someone to help me with the dishes. I wanted her. Men, can I get an amen? I wanted her. I wanted the person. I wanted the relationship. Covenant is not about getting what I want. It's about getting who I want. And so we have to switch our understanding from contract to covenant. It's not about getting what I want. It's not about the blessings, the benefits. There are those. Those are great. Those are wonderful. When you serve God, God will bless you. God loves you. All that's great. But it's about getting the relationship with the person. It's about who I want. That's what covenant is all about. And so the Bible gives us this example to illustrate 
our covenant with God. The marriage covenant, when entered into the way God intended, is a great illustration of the new covenant. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. It says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The two become one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. That's covenant. The two becoming one, that's covenant. So a few things, quick things we're gonna cover real quick just to learn a little bit more about covenant is some things we learn from the marriage covenant. Number one, the two become one. Now here's the problem with contracts and the problem with modern day marriage. Godless marriage, marriage outside of the church, outside of biblical marriage, just this modern thought our society has about marriage. The two don't become one, the two just stay two. We just share stuff a little bit more. Maybe we're already living together. Maybe we're already sleeping together. Maybe we're already helping with the bills together. So why get married? There's no transformation. There's no two becoming one. No, the two just become two. And we wonder why the divorce rate is through the roof. Because we traded covenant for contract. We said, I just want a little more help with the dishes. A little more help with the bills. I just want some of my needs met. And then the moment my needs aren't met, guess what? It's time to break the contract. Because we don't understand what God intended through covenant. Think of the rituals we use in weddings. The unity candle. We take two flames and you put them together. And then how can you take one flame, once you take those two flames and you put them into that one flame, pull that apart, separate that. How do you separate that? And when I've, I've counseled with people and I've had so many friends over the years and it's like they're having marriage issues and it's like, man, what do I do? Do we divorce? Do we? And I'm just like, man, you gotta start with covenant. When you understand covenant, and it just, it just changes everything. When you understand the two have become one, there's a public legal change in assets. There's no more mine, now there's only ours. My wife goes shopping frequently. <laughs> now I will say, my wife has a big heart, so 90% of the time she's buying stuff for other people. She rarely buys stuff for herself. She's always buying stuff for other people. But she always comes home and says, look how much money I saved you. And I'm like, I love you so much. And here's the problem. I have a daughter. And now they tag team against me. It's like, let's see how fast we can spend this money. It's like they are, you know, Wonder Twins activate. You know, they go to the store and it's like shopping on steroids. Like, let's go, you know. But when I was like, man, you, you got to quit spending all my money. She's like, not our money. Not your money is our money, right? It's our money. Both people, both people in marriage sacrifice something important. See, modern marriage, there's no sacrifice. In covenant, there's sacrifice. The husband sacrifices 
his self-interest. The Christian husband is commanded to love his wife. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I have to give up my life. I have to be willing to die to defend my wife, to defend my family. I have to give up my comfort. I have to go work. I have to provide. I have to protect. I have to be there to serve the needs of my family as a godly man. The wife sacrifices her self-governance, her autonomy. She takes the husband's name. The Christian wife is commanded to submit to the godly leadership of her husband, just as the church is called to submit to Christ. There's a sacrifice There's an exclusive level of intimacy. The wife has access to her husband in a way no one else does. The husband has access to his wife in a way no one else does. There's an intimacy in covenant. And so if this is an illustration of the new covenant, I want to take a few minutes because if there's a new, there had to be an old. There had to be an old. And the problem I see many times is what I call old covenant Christians. Christians that want to cherry pick what they like from the old and mix it with what they like from the new. But remember, God won't relate to you based on the old. When you go old, you cut yourself off from the grace of God. The grace of God can't be activated It can't flow in your life when you're operating, when you're relating to God out of the old. And communion, communion is that reminder, it's that celebration. What did he say? Of the new. Not the old, the new. Now the old was not bad. The new is just better. Dating my wife wasn't bad. It was fun. It was enjoyable, nothing wrong with it. Dating my wife was great. Marrying her, a lot better, a lot better. I had a plan in mind. I wasn't dating her just to date her. No, there was, there was an end goal. I wanted to be in covenant. I wanted to be married to her, being engaged to my wife. It was a step up from dating, right? Like once there's a ring, once there's a proposal, once it takes the relationship to another level and being engaged wasn't bad, but it still wasn't being married. It was the pathway to being in covenant, in marriage covenant with my wife. The old in the Old Testament, the old covenant, the old with God was a pathway God used to get us to the new. We can't get stuck in the old because the old served a purpose. The old was good. There's, it, it's not that the old was terrible. The old was, no, but it, it served a purpose to get us to the new. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. Trying to relate to God through the old always ended in spiritual death. Because there was an arrangement, an agreement, and we couldn't hold up our end of the deal. And so anytime I try to relate to God 
through that old way of the written law, it always ends in spiritual death. Not because it was bad, but because we are bad, because we've all sinned against God. Because that sin nature is resident, it's still there. And because of that, that old way, that old pathway always ended in spiritual death. Look at Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 11 through 13. It says, sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, pay attention here. Because in, in the New Testament church, often we, we vilify the old. I'm not under the law. I'm not under. And we think of it as something bad. But look at what Paul says. He says, the law itself is holy. And its commands are holy and right and good. It's not that the old was bad. It's not that God rigged the scales. It's not that, that God set up this test that was just unfair to us. Like he set us up to fail. Because sometimes that's how we hear it preached. Like, you know, God just set up this unreasonably high standard. No, he didn't. The rules were easy to follow. They were plain. You know how we know that? Because God took Adam and Eve. He put them in a garden. They were in perfection. They had no sickness, no disease, no pressure, no bills to pay, no pain, no problems. They walked around naked all day. Come on. Like life was good. And you know, life's got to be pretty comfy if you can walk around naked all the time. Like they weren't being hunted by a tiger. Like it was good. Like they had food. They had everything. And then God came down every day and just hung out with them. Just walked with them. They were in the perfect situation. And God gave them one command. You can do anything you want except this one little thing. And they couldn't stand it. We had to break the law. We had to break the agreement. Verse 13, he says, how can that be? Did the law, which was good, cause my death? Of course not. Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. Now pay attention. This is so important right here. This is the point of the old. So we can see how terrible sin really is. The whole point of the old was to convict us of how bad our sin really is. How dark, how black, how evil sin really is. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. When the New Testament writers talk about the old covenant, they are talking about the Mosaic covenant and what is commonly referred to as the law. So God had a covenant with Adam. God had a covenant with Noah. God, God had a covenant with all these different people. Abraham, Moses, David, and then there's lots of little covenants, but those are the big ones. And so there's all these covenants. So when we talk about the old, what are we talking about? What covenant are we talking about? Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7, it says, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with what? With the law he made? Did, did God make a bad rule, a bad law, an unfair system? No. He found fault with the people. With the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. See, there's a weakness. There's a flaw in this old covenant. Not that it's rigged, not that it's unfair, but the flaw is in the people. They're not able to keep the requirements of the old. 
And he says, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when? When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. He's talking about Moses. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the Mosaic Law. He says, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. So the old covenant, the law, was holy, it was right and good. But no one, not even God's chosen people could keep it. Even the people God blessed, even the people God did miracles for, even the people God gave his word and he taught the truth and he gave uh, commandments and he gave them uh, a governance and he gave them leaders and he, and he came down and he, and he said, I'll be your God and I'll bless you and I'll give you this promised land. Even those people that God took care of, they couldn't keep up their end of the deer. Now, deal. Now, this is where it gets really exciting. See, there's two types of covenants. The old covenant was conditional. Everybody say conditional. A lot more like a contract. If you will, then I will. God, God told him, he said, if you'll keep my commands, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you a promised land. I'll be your God. But if you don't, if you don't, I'm gonna turn away. It's conditional. God promised to have a special relationship with Israel, to give them the promised land. All these blessings, if, 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 is conditional. If you will keep my commands. But there's two types of covenants. That's bilateral, two, by, there's two people that have to hold up their end. But there's another type of covenant, unilateral, where the person making the covenant just says, I'm going to. God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm gonna cut a covenant with you. Remember where we started today? He said, hey man, hey, come here. I wanna be in partnership with you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm going to, to multiply you. I'm gonna bless all the nations of the earth through you. I'm gonna cause your descendants to be like the sand on the seashore. I'm, 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 my covenant, my covenant, my covenant. Because God says, I'm going to create a covenant that you can't break. I'm going to create a covenant that you can't mess up. I'm going to create a covenant and I'm going to uphold it, fulfill it, establish it myself because I am God. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 15. It says, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. He says in, in, in those times when you made a covenant, it was permanent and you couldn't take it away. You couldn't put it aside. It was forever. It was permanent. And he says the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant, the promise, the agreement previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the promise depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. See, this is the good news. When God makes a covenant, it's forever. A billion.
million years from now, the Abrahamic covenant still going to be in force. It will never be canceled or set aside. So the law did not cancel the covenant promises God made to Abraham and his offspring, Jesus. It was simply part of the plan to fulfill it. And Jesus did not cancel out the law. He just fulfilled them. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but what? To fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus didn't destroy or set aside God's law. He didn't, he didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. He met every requirement. He completed the plan that God had put in motion since the garden. Jesus came not to do away with the old, but to complete and fulfill the old. And so how do we respond to this? We understand now what a covenant is. It's not a contract. God's covenants are eternal. They're forever. We, we can see the limitation of the old. It wasn't the end goal. It was just part of the plan. Just like when I dated my wife, that wasn't the plan. I didn't go, I just want to date her forever. No, I'm going to date her. Why? So I can be engaged to her. Why? So that I can marry her. So I can, we can become one. I wanted the two to become one. And God, looking through space and time, saw you and said, I want the two to become one. I've got a plan to be in covenant with you. And so every part of the old were steps, processes, part of the plan. Why? To bring us to the new. The table represents the new. We're celebrating the new. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish. This is carrying on where we read earlier. With the people of Israel after that time declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors, say to one another, know the Lord. Why? Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, listen, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. See, I don't, I don't go to my wife based on a dating relationship anymore. That was good, but it's obsolete. I don't go to her and we don't have conversations like we're engaged anymore. That was good, but it's obsolete. No, when I go to my wife now... I go to her in covenant because the two have become one. And God will not relate to you based on the old. He'll only relate to you based on the new. Jesus fulfilled the old so we can step into the new. God wants a covenant relationship with us today. But we have to come to him through the new. Now I want to ask you, are you under the old or the new? How are you relating to God when you mess up? We all do. When you have problems, we all do. See, when you're dating, sometimes you have an argument. Might end, right? I mean, it, you know, we're just dating. 
Marriage fights are different. Come on. They different. But the thing is, I know when we have that argument, there's still that stability because we've always said there's one word we'll never say. It starts with a D. Like we've never said that word in our marriage. Why? Because the two have become one. See, we're in covenant together. How are you relating to God? Galatians 3 verse 2. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed. You believed. You believed. You believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? How many Christians walk around and we waffle between the old and the new? We want to pick the parts out of both. But remember what we learned from marriage. The two become one. Are you one with God? Do you have your agenda or are you about his agenda? Because when you partner with somebody in business, when it becomes our business, guess what? We're both working to build the same thing together. As a Christian, the two has become one. I am one. His spirit lives in me. I live, I breathe, I move. Why? To fulfill his kingdom, to establish his covenant. That's why I breathe air. That's who I am. It's not something I do because it's not two. The two have become one. His kingdom is who I am. I am the kingdom of God. He's establishing his kingdom through me, through you, through us. We are the house of God, the body of Christ. The two have become one. Both people have to sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed. He gave his life on the cross. And he asked this of you. Will you give up your autonomy? Will you be willing to change your last name and take on his identity? There's an exclusive level of intimacy. God wants a covenant relationship with you. Are you living in his presence? Man, I have access to my wife. She has access to me in ways no one else does. The reason most marriages fail is because people stop taking advantage of that. And most people that struggle when they walk with God is because they have access. They have access to intimacy, but they're not using it. They just want God to bless their thing. The two have stayed too. They're walking in the old, and when you walk in the old, there's only death. We've got to walk in the new. We receive communion to remember and connect with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the covenant. Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you. I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. When we step up to the table, when we receive his body, when we receive his blood, we're receiving Jesus. He is the covenant. He died so the two can become one. Let me pray for you today. 
Father, we just thank you so much for your presence at the table. We thank you that when we come, you meet us here. You meet us at the place of covenant. You meet us at the table, God. God, we want to encounter you today. We want to meet you at the table. We don't want to be separate. We don't want to be two. We want the two to become one. We want to sacrifice who we've been, our past, our autonomy, our own will, and we want to submit to you. We want you to be our leader. We want you to be our guide. We want you to be our God. God, we want to, we want to experience that intimacy with you. Like you said to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. God, we want to be your friend. We want to be your children. We want to enjoy that that intimate relationship, that presence. So God, right now is one people. How we welcome your presence into this place. We invite your Holy Spirit here right now. We invite your presence. Thank you, Jesus. There could be someone here today. Maybe you've You've never had that kind of intimacy with God before. You've never started a relationship with Jesus before. But you say, I want the two to become one. I want to receive. I want to step into the new. I want to leave the old, the law, the rules, the performance, the me having to pull it off. I want to step into the new. I want to be a partner with God. I want to establish his covenant. I want to... I want to be his child if that's you today and you've never made that profession of faith. If that's you, I want to ask you right now, will you just lift your hand in this place? We just say, I want to say a simple prayer of faith. We want to lead you in that. Amen. I see that hand. Anyone else? Just lift your hand up right now. We're going to say this prayer. Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. Man, God is here. His presence is here. You are never going to be the same after today. I want to ask everyone, let's just stand on our feet. Let's pray this together. We're going to join together in this prayer. And if that was you, you raised your hand. If you're online, there's there's a chat. We'll pray with you. We'll connect with you. But if that's you today, I'm going to ask you right now, just everyone, let's just lift our hands up to God. It's an act of surrender. It's just saying, God, you sacrificed your life. I'm sacrificing my my will. I'm, I'm surrendering to you, to your spirit. And let's pray this prayer together. Say, Father God, We welcome your Holy Spirit. We walk away from the old. I walk into the new. The two are becoming one. You're my God. You're my leader. You're my king. I submit my life to you. I'm your child, I'm your partner. And I thank you that now I can live in your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. You are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.